Hey, my beauties. Enjoying this podcast? Head over to the Anchor app and leave us a voicemail and tell us how you really feel, as well as any ideas you have for future episodes. Would you like to leave a review? Head on over to our other platforms. You can reach us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Ordinary women doing extraordinary things is just what we do. Alchemy Chic family, I am back with one of our Alchemy Chic influencers of the day. This extraordinary woman I have known since college days. Um, she has seen me grow through many, many phases. Uh, but one thing I can say about this woman is if you have ever known or heard or had a glimpse of anybody who has been a fighter for anything in their life, like imagine that and times that by a million. And that will be the description that will kind of compare to this woman. Um, She is one of the most supportive people, never to miss an event for a friend, never, you know, to miss any type of support that she can give to anybody that she could possibly find. I don't know where she finds the time. I don't know where she finds the energy. Um, But what I've always said about her is if you ever need to speak to someone about the fight for their life, um, this woman would be it. I have seen her go through many medical emergencies and challenges and hurdles. And it's like, she comes out like nothing ever happened. Like, okay, well, that was a little bump in the road and we're gonna continue on with life. Um, I've never seen her with a really particular struggle face, if that makes sense. But one thing I do know is her fight and her will and her drive to have the knowledge and to conquer everything that she has come against makes her a super badass and the reason why I needed to have her on the Alchemy Chic platform is so that she can give inspiration to whoever may need it going through certain medical challenges because I feel like this woman has defied every single odd ever on the planet and has done it with just such joy in her in her spirit um that she passes on to everyone that she knows. So please welcome to the call, my beautiful friend, Mama Rashawn. Hi, Hi. darling. Hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I am doing well. I cannot complain. Good, good, good. I'm so sorry to have babbled on, but I just, I couldn't, like every time you've gone through something, I'm just in awe of how you handle it, how you come through it, and how you continue to just move about life with with such like optimism along with practicality um but it's just something I've always admired about you and I've always wanted to know although I've been somewhat a part of your story um I've always wanted to hear your story and so I know that long before you and I met that you have had some challenges when it comes to like knowing your body and what it can and cannot take um But describe what that's like. What what was that like for you growing up? Um, so growing up, I was okay. I didn't I didn't really have any medical struggles growing up. So it was just really odd that when I moved from Detroit to Georgia for school at the Clark Atlanta University, <laughs> um, 
I started having some issues. Um, it started with some bad allergies, and I was in the hospital like every week. Um, face swollen. I would just wake up. I started developing some really weird allergies to things that I've pretty much eaten my whole life, like peanuts, tomatoes. It just was really strange. Um, and then I started uh, having these fevers and um, joint pain and found myself in the ER a lot and went home to Detroit, had some testing done there, and um, they did not know what it was. They wanted to call it rheumatoid arthritis. However, I did not meet the criteria because I think it's like 13 things on the checklist that you have to have. Mm -hmm. And I was missing like one or two. So came back to Georgia, you know, they just put me on some Celebrex, I think it was, which is like an anti-inflammatory for your, you know, your bones and your joints. And was on that for a couple years and then everything kind of went away. Graduated, uh, started having the fevers and just really bad joint pain again and started again with the ER visits. Um, This time it was a little bit different. I was in the process of applying to medical school. And Mm -hmm. um, so I was in the ER a lot and just sick a lot. And I didn't know what was going on. Had maybe... I don't know, 20-something odd ER visits, a lot of doctor's appointments, um, a lot of blood draws, a lot of tests, and just got really, really sick, like really drained of energy, lost a lot of weight, lost a ton of weight. Um, I really didn't know what was going on, and they didn't either. And it took them two years to come up with a lupus diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was after, like, me having a a round of shingles. It's just anything that you could think of. I pretty much had it going on. And um, it was a rough two years. I think that was probably the darkest moment that I had in my medical history because I just didn't look like myself. Um, I got really dark. My skin got really dark. And I just looked like deaf walking, like no joke, deaf walking. So I stayed in the house. Like I didn't really go out. I didn't want people to see me. I still went to work, but even getting up and getting in the shower was a struggle. It was horrible pain. And it just got to the point where I was like, okay, they don't know what's wrong. I'm in and out of the ER. I'm in and out of the hospital. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to die. Like, that was the first time no. I was like, I'm going to die. Like, nobody knows what's going on. I just, I mean, when I say drop weight, I just look like a stick walking. And my skin was so different. I had to put on, like, a lot of concealer, a lot of makeup to go out the house to even look like a person and that is probably the one time in my life I don't have any pictures from that period because photographs just made me look even worse (laughs) it made me look like a ghost (laughs) Um, from all the makeup so 
I, I called my mom one night and I was like, hey, you know, mom, um, you know, I, I can't live like this. And I just finally like succumbed to the fact that I just not might, might not make it. And by that time, like my doctors didn't think I was going to make it either. Um, they didn't think I would really live to see 25. Wow. And they finally came up with the lupus diagnosis. And that's when it had got like bad, 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 bad. Um, and then miraculously, I started getting better. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was like it just turned around on its own. But going to that diagnosis part was so hard of a process, and it usually is. It can take them like two to 10 years to diagnose lupus because it's that complicated of a disease. And that's why I started reading a lot about autoimmune disorders. Um, but when I uh, got diagnosed, I went into remission maybe three months later. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that soon. I, yeah. I mean, I recall everything, but I, I didn't realize it was that soon. But hindsight Along with the pain and all of that, do you, hindsight looking back, because I know when you're in the midst of the pain and the, the, the thought of everything that's possibly going on that you don't know exactly yet, mm-hmm. was, there, was there a moment of, of depression and ha- what was it that kind of made you come out of that if that was the case? I don't ever recall being depressed. I think I had some what the F moments, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't think I ever was just like, this is horrible because I still got out the bed every day mm-hmm. and I still made it to work every day. But my boss and my coworkers were rock stars because they knew I wasn't moving as fast, but I was still there doing my job, never really missed a day of work. So I wasn't... I don't think I was depressed. I don't, I don't ever recall feeling hopeless. You know, I just had to realize my reality at a point like this just really might not come out the way that I want it to. Mm-hmm. I think that was hard for my mom to hear, you know, as being her child. And I was so young at that time. I think I was maybe 23. And I'm up here talking about death. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, that's scary. But it, it kind of just, it, it was my reality at the time. Like nobody should have to live like this. So did your, well, from what, what it sounds like now, you were interested in the medical field long before your personal journey oh, started. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. did that, would, did that encourage you more to want to pursue the medical industry or the medical field, I should say, um, where you were just that more angst to get involved because of what you had gone through? Um, I don't think so. I think from, from as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I started working at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, when I graduated in patient access, um, that's when I got a little bit more insight of what doctors do versus what nurses do. And, you know, after I spent uh, about 2500 of my mom's money, 
um, to apply to medical school. Mm -hmm. And I started working in the ER and it, it was then that I realized, okay, the doctors don't do as much as I thought they did. So I probably wouldn't be a nurse because they are the hands-on people. They are the, they are the ones. Yeah. They're they're the center of everything. yeah, Yeah. So it, it did not, you know, make me want to go into medicine even more, but it did kind of change my course of action from med school to nursing school, which my mom still feels like I owe her that 2500 back. <laughs> but, you know. I'm sure. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. It's all good. <laughs> so I know that after the lupus, and I, and I apologize in advance because I feel like I've they're all kind of come together in my head, but I know they happened at different points in time, but I do know there was a, a point in your life where you had to have a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about that time. Cause that so, was after the lupus, right? That was after the lupus. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, like you said, it, it all kind of ran, ran together. So I think I've always had been that, that lucky woman that had that three day cycle but that three-day cycle started to become very painful. And um, I wouldn't even say painful, not like cramps, but the bloating and just the pressure that I would have in my pelvic area when I had my cycle just started to get, you know, unbearable. So um, I went to the GYN and they started of course, doing some tests, and this led to my endometriosis. And um, endometriosis, I had ovarian polyps and ovarian cysts, all going on at the same time. So I ended up having surgeries, um, a dilation and curatage to scrape the lining of my uterus, to remove those cysts, and... um, I think I had two of those surgeries and then I had a surprise ovarian torsion. What's that? So that is when your ovaries twist, (laughs) your ovaries twist and cuts off the oxygen supply. Okay. And um, they literally torse together. So that means that they just twist. And this one, um, I didn't even know I had it. Um, I was in the ER one day at work. And I just passed out. I remember having a sharp pain and then I passed out. And when I woke up, everybody was looking at me and I was like, what just happened? And um, I went and they said, oh, we see, we see a cyst on your ovary. Okay, great. We got to go in and take it out. When I came out that surgery, I, I knew something weird happened because I just felt different. Mm-hmm. And they said they removed a golf ball sized cyst off my ovary that was twisted. So it torsed and it was losing the oxygen supply. And had I not passed out, then they could have, you know, not been able to save my ovary. Mm. So um, had that, then I had two more surgeries. So I had five surgeries to keep going in, getting these cysts off and, you know, the, 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 see now my dog is scratching at the door. Um, 
the lining of my uterus started getting all this scar tissue. And I had to make a decision, like literally was at the doctor's office and he said, okay, this is the one or two things need to happen. You need to have a baby or you need to have a partial hysterectomy. It was like, just like that. Oh, wow. And I was like, yo, like, I'm not even in a relationship right now. I'm still in, you know, I'm in nursing school. I was in nursing school at the time. So I'm like, I can't just up and have a baby. Like, who does that? Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, uh, you know, I had some conversations with my doctor and we just decided to do the partial hysterectomy because after so many surgeries and after all that scar tissue, like the chances of you having a successful pregnancy is slim to none Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, so I had the partial hysterectomy, um, probably the easiest surgery that I've had to date. Um, I was up walking like two weeks later. Well, actually like two days later. Um, And, you know, that was the end of that kind of pain. I I actually had one more surgery after that. Let me, I had one more surgery after that. Because the cyst on your ovaries is something you can't, you you can't control. So Mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, likely keep coming. Um, But it's gotten a lot better. So, you know, not mad at that. So I remember when that happened and then um, I remember you telling me sometime later that you were actually pregnant. So, right. And, and so, I remember I remember hearing it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. And I was like, wait, huh? Because like, right. I was like, wait, hold on. I think I think I don't understand what just happened. So here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it the way that my doctor explained it to me that made so much sense. And the body is a very interesting system. Mm-hmm. So people literally get pregnant more than they know. I could be pregnant right now and <laughs> not know it. You know, so the way that fertilization occurs is that if you have your parts now, I still have my ovaries and fallopian tubes and everything. I just don't have my uterus. So it's almost like a topic pregnancy. Like if a, a embryo implants in your fallopian tube, well, that's not where it's supposed to implant, mm-hmm. you know, then that creates baby. So it's dangerous. Um and wherever an egg chooses to implant, and it's been some rare cases, it's dangerous. It's very risky, but it happens. And when you have that situation where you don't have a uterus or you have a partial uterus, people have gotten pregnant off a partial uterus, uterus a, a piece of a uterus left. Like, just weird things really, really happen. And even now... With me being married, I mean, I could have been pregnant like 20 times mm-hmm. until, you know, the embryo just washes away. And that's just the weird, freaky part of reproductive science. And again, that took a lot of research and everything. So, uh, yeah, that happened. And <laughs> so <laughs> how did how did you reconcile 
with the emotional roller coaster of wait, I thought this was going to be difficult, but wait, this just happened. Like, how did you, how did you reconcile that emotional roller coaster of, and resolve what was possible, what was impossible? Well, you know, first of all, the the realist in me just knew that it's not likely going to result in a full-term pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the realist in me was just like, okay, let's just see where this goes. So the emotional part, it was pretty much at bay because I never got like overly excited about it. And I think when people struggle with reproductive issues and infertility, it's very hard to get excited about something until you're holding a baby or until you're in, you know what I'm saying? Like that you, you just have to be a realist and you have to know your reality. And when people know their reality, it just kind of helps with their emotions. Okay. You know, and just the time that it happened too was just bad timing. <laughs> like, what yeah, was, you know. So, you know, it it wasn't too much of a blow. It was just like, okay, let's move on. You know, it happened. So that that's kind of how I dealt with that. Okay, and I know after that, um, you had mentioned something to me about you know, not really feeling up to par, but you weren't quite sure you were going to go get it checked out. You mentioned something about your thyroids being off. And then it was like, oh yeah, I have thyroid cancer. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, not, no more. Like, just no more, Jesus. No more. Like, okay. seriously, we're, we're done. We have capped out and we're done. Um, But you somehow, again, yeah, like, I've, I've always told you I've been amazed by a by how you fight and it's not even like really a fight um but how you push through everything like no it's gonna be fine we'll be all right we'll just go ahead go and take care of everything and we're done um but that particular time what was a little bit different for you and what was that like to to get that diagnosis and to be like okay here we go again wow so in 2016, uh, when I was planning my wedding, mm-hmm. um, I went for a very normal physical exam with my doctor. And she said, hey, you have this swollen lymph node on the side of your neck. Did you notice that? And I said, yeah, I noticed it. You know, it's been there for a while. Bigger, it's not tender to the touch. You know, I went down the whole list of probably nothing because people with autoimmune disorders normally get swollen lymph nodes if you have a cold if you know I don't know if it's hot outside I mean it just weird stuff happens to us all the time um so she said well you know I would feel more comfortable getting an ultrasound of the lymph node and I said okay well you know let's do it when it had the ultrasound um left off the ultrasound table. Maybe two days later, I was at work and my doctor called me and she said, "Um, I need you to come to my office right now. And I was like, like right now, like I'm at work. And 
she was like, I need you to come to my office and I need you to bring somebody with you. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I was like, this is not going to be good. So I called my husband, who was my fiance at the time. And I said, uh, honey, uh, we got to go to my doctor's office. And I just bust out crying. And he was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. She just said I need to get there right now. And so we went and um, her words of just saying cancer was like, wait, what? And her words were, I think this is, they highly suspect this is thyroid cancer. Bust out crying, you know, and he was like, you know, can you give us a minute? Now, my doctor at the time, Dr. Foster, who is fantastic, is a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. So she had had her own, you know, meltdown about it. Like they said, when I left her office, she went in the bathroom and cried like a baby. She was just like, I just had to tell this baby because she considered me to be a baby that she probably has cancer. Mm -hmm. So... That, I think I probably, I did not take it well at all. And this is the the ugly part that people probably don't know. I didn't take that well. Um, Just hearing the words cancer, I had a friend pass away a year before that of cancer, of lung cancer. And he got diagnosed and he went so quick. Like two months later, he was dead. We were burying him. Mm -hmm. And it freaked me out because it hit so close to home yeah and then um when they I think a month later maybe no it was a couple weeks later where they officially diagnosed me and by that time I had cried for about three four days straight and I just one day just stopped crying and I started praying (laughs) I started praying to God that if it if it was cancer, just let it be something treatable and manageable. And I just didn't want it to kill me. And that it it was still very scary. Um, it still is scary, you know, because it, it's not completely gone. And cancer is like a net at a barbecue, mm-hmm. like you're constantly swatting at it, but it, you know, it doesn't like to go away. Um, So I think a month after that, and I think my husband was probably the better one who handled it better out of the two of us because everything scared me. Like, me to death. I cried on that table. They had me a sedative, like, Everything about it just scared me. Like, mm-hmm. and I have been like a rock star through everything else medically, but this is scared me. And um, when they said, okay, we're going to have to do surgery, and just the thought of them cutting my neck open from side to side. Mm-hmm. was enough to send me into the crazy house. Like, I was 
freaking all the way out when they had me sign all those consents. I, I probably asked like a million and one questions mm-hmm. because every wrong thought was going through my head. Mm-hmm. What if they cut this vocal cord? What if they do this? What if I can't move my neck? Like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting married in like four months. It was just the worst time, the worst case scenario in my brain. Like, oh my God. So I was very nervous. Like when I went into surgery, I was super nervous, even though my family was here and it was maybe about 15 people in the waiting room when I went into surgery, had this big smile on my face. Like I was like, okay, see everybody in a minute. But I was crying on the way. Like as soon as they rolled me away from everybody, I started crying. And see, that's, that's, that's the Rashawn that told me about everything was the smiling, like, it's going to be okay. And I'm just like, what woman like what is happening and so I think to hear the the kind of like behind the scenes of how you were really feeling in those vulnerable moments that you were having no one would have ever known that you know what I mean like no one would have ever known that because throughout everything you have always been just so super strong and positive and just like oh no it'll be fine um, and I don't know, it, and you never said it in a way of like avoidance. You've always said it, it with a sense of like actuality, like, no, it'll, it's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would have never known that you even felt remotely anything like, you know, terror or, fa- or, or being afraid or any of that. I would have, I would have never known that, but throughout your journey, what has, what has amazed you the most about even your, just yourself or your support uh, system, your friends, what has amazed you the most? I mean, I I think I definitely amaze myself. um, Sometimes (laughs) I have my moments. (laughs) I have my moments. I mean, I think naturally, I think think my husband is amazing because I think he handles it so much better than me and if the shoe was on the other foot like I'd still be freaking out if it was him mm-hmm. um but he always says I'm not gonna cry until I have to cry and the only time I've ever seen him cry was on our wedding day so <laughs> you know I I I think that he's amazing you know and I I think that I don't know really how I deal with it uh because Sometimes I get very tired of it. I think it's more annoying in the the process to remission or recovery or whatever they want to call it is very tedious. And mm-hmm. I can only recall maybe once that I skipped out on my doctor's appointment because I just didn't want to go. You just didn't have the energy. I was like, I just don't even want to do it today. Because yeah. the more I try to understand um, this part of it, the thyroid cancer, the more I don't understand. I literally feel like a retard and I'm probably pretty smart, you know, when it comes yeah. to medicine, but it's very tricky. It's yeah. very tricky. So everything about it still freaks me out. If I have a lab result that's off, I start losing my mind and I'm sure Bridget can tell you that that's my best friend y'all I call her and I just go ballistic and she's just like okay they really need to block your lab results from your chart because 
<laughs> you can see it. And this happens every time and you have to stop it. Yeah. And, but I mean, even some things kind of blow her mind. Like she's just like, wait, they said what? Cause I mean, this last time they didn't find anything on my scans, which I have those about every three to six months. But yet they were still talking about chemotherapy. And I was just like, uh, yep, we're well, ready for that. So me and my doctor kind of had it out because I was just like, dude, you just like mentioned the unthinkable to me. Yeah. So it's still, you know. <laughs> yeah, you still you still have to you still have those moments of like yeah. holy crap. Yeah. Now, now I know you mentioned like, you know, you you cried for like three days until you just stopped and you started to pray. But throughout everything, like from the from the beginning up until today, um, how has your faith grown or been challenged by every hurdle you've had to conquer? Uh, it's definitely grown, and I and I think that attitude and your whole mind, body, and spirit, you know, connection has a lot to do with how you deal with all this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have to stay positive, but I think, you know, everybody understands when you have those moments of uncertainty or those moments of fear because you have something foreign in your body and you're just trying to live your best life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, we're going through the fertility stuff now as well. And it's just like the hardest part about all this is that my I'm not on my own timeline ever. So everything medically is dictated to me. Like I can't say, I want to have a baby right now. I want to try right now. It's I have to consult with this doctor and this doctor and we have to see what's a good time for my body to be in balance to do this. Mm-hmm. And when do I not have to have treatment and when do I not have to have radiation? Because after radiation, you have to wait nine months to even, you know, so it's like that part is forever frustrating that I really don't have any decisions when it comes to things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do trust my doctors. I think I have a great team of doctors and I think, you know, I, I have a good fertility doctor now. I just love her spirit. She's an amazing person. I think we're finally like on the road to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having, getting that done as long as no treatment gets in the way of that. Um, so, yeah, my faith has grown, but it's it's just really attitude. Like, my doctors always say, you have the best, like, spirit of person. Like, you just come in smiling. You're never angry. You're never upset. You joke a lot. Always. You know? Yep. You, you just really have to. Like, what's the point in being mad all the time? Like, life is so short. It is so short. So, and 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 honestly you have always I've you've always been super happy um cheerful always jokey jokey I don't think I've ever had like a super super like serious serious conversation um we've had practical conversations but you've always been very jovial when we when we talk in the conversations that we have it's never been a moment where you weren't being encouraging or uplifting or you know just kind of like you know celebrating the good life um I've never not seen another side of you that I would have thought 
anything was ever going on with you ever outside looking in. Um, but you mentioned, you know, your husband being very instrumental in, in having that kind of the backbone of keeping that strength together uh, for these more current challenges that you've had. But yeah. how has that love, along with, you know, the, the ways that God has grown you, how has the love between God and the love between your husband changed you throughout everything that you've been through? Um, I think that, I think he is starting to, you know, understand more and, you know, he is not, he doesn't not believe in God. He believes it's a higher power. Mm -hmm. Um, we've had some, you know, conversation about prayer and everything. And even though he, would probably never let me see him <laughs> pray about me, but he knows that, you know, I am all about like prayer and about, you know, faith in God and, and faith in myself. And I watched him grow, you know, mm -hmm. from when we met to when we got engaged to when we were both hit with this cancer thing. Cause it took a toll on both of us, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, he's, he has his, his support people mm -hmm. and, and group and, and it's still, you know, I think I find myself sometimes not succumbing to some pain or some, you know, little struggles. If I'm just having like a not so good day, you know, I can mask that because he gets worried. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, and he's just like, "No, do you need to go to the doctor? Do you need to take? Do you need to take something?" And and sometimes it's just, you know, I'm having that moment. So we're we're starting to get more of a connection that way because it's hard when people don't really understand what you're going through, and mm -hmm. I don't think anybody ever could unless they go through it, right? And you know, um. You know, just like he he wants baby like right now, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. he wants one like right now, but it it's it's a process and and he's you know starting to have more patience with things and you know just understanding he's starting to ask a lot more questions, you know, in my visits and he doesn't come to every visit in which he doesn't need to because most of them are just like a bunch of medical talk, but um, you know he's just starting to understand more mm -hmm. and that's all I ever asked for is to not I don't want him to feel what I'm going through but I want him to understand that every day is not going to be a good day and some days like my neck is stiff and some days I get this like pressure in my neck where it just annoys me right. it's not painful it just annoys me and I'll just go get in bed and he'll be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? And I'm like, I just don't know. Like, <laughs> just don't feel good. <laughs> just don't feel yeah. good. Yeah. You know, so it's just like he gives me those moments to just kind of be, yeah. you know. And, you know, I think that's where he goes into his place of peace and has to sometimes talk himself down and reach out to his support group. So I think he, he knows that we have support behind us and it's those 
not Rashawn having support. It's we have support behind us because he's just now really starting to embrace the village and embrace the system that we have, which I think is great. Yeah. So do you normally I I like to just ask, you know, because I feel like everyone has a purpose. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those like super like wooey wooey people I feel like everyone has a purpose mm-hmm. um do you feel like you are living your purpose and if not now do you feel like you are on that journey to live live out your purpose in life I don't actually know um what my purpose is I think right now in these last couple of years my purpose is to you know, inspire others to Mm -hmm. keep going. And and a lot of people say, you're such an inspiration to me. And I'm like, I didn't even do anything. Like, (laughs) you do a lot more than you. I freaking got cancer. (laughs) So it's like, you know, but a lot of people like, you know, you, you talked about your journey so openly Mm -hmm. with us and kind of shared it with the world. And shared so much of me and I, I I guess I just didn't realize the impact that it had on so many people and now you know with the fertility thing I kind of have not been as open about that just because people have just been really judgmental about fertility issues yeah. I just don't want that judgment like yeah. I just don't so you know I share with who I need to share it with. Um, And I think right now it's hard. I haven't said anything about my cancer journey because it's not over and we once thought it was. Mm -hmm. So before I know where I'm going with it, I haven't said anything. Um, Just because I don't want people to not be inspired and not... You know, I, I, it's, it's tough, but I, I just want to know where I'm going with it first. Um, mm-hmm. If we have to do treatment, if we have to do chemo, if we have to do whatever, you know. So, I, I guess, purpose is to, you know, be the best version of myself and try to you know, inspire people to definitely look on the bright side. Like, I'm not cheery all the time. I have my moments when I'm mad, you know, not at what I want, but I have a bad day at work. I'm pissed off, you know. So <laughs> it's, you know, but I, I never get mad about this. Well, um, I, I would say, I would say in terms of like, you know, l- knowing what your your purpose is and living it and all that good stuff. Um, I do feel like it is a journey, but I can tell you right now in terms of, you know, the purpose of being an inspiration and a symbol of strength and fight. Um, for me, that's what you symbolized. And so in terms in, in regards to purpose, I can say you are one of the people that serve that purpose in my life where it's, you know, that symbol of fight and grit and passion and joy and all of these things that I see that you go through and every day you get up and every time I have ever encountered you even on Facebook through text message I can tell when it's my Shawnee 
you know, like when you're just checking in to see how things are going or, you know, you showing up for someone else's event, you know, your, your light is brighter than what you give it credit for. So I just, I need you to know that. Well, thank you. And I mean, (laughs) I've, I've, people have told me that before and I recently kind of had to slow down. Um, My doctor put me on restriction. (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, okay, you are doing too much because I had this like little flare up like two weeks ago. And I pretty much know when it's coming. It's that this one was masked really differently. So I maybe I'm because I'm getting older. Um, Things are happening symptom wise where I could tell before it was a flare up. And now I just thought I put a muscle in my neck and in my back. And now different parts of my body are flaring up when I have Mm -hmm. a flare up. Mm-hmm. And so, cause me and Rodney were both like, well, what's really going on? And then when it wouldn't go away and I couldn't move my hand one morning, I was like, oh, this is a flare. I got to go. So I knew what it was, but it's just, it's happening different. So my doctor's like, instead of trying to go to four events a day, why don't you just cut back on two? Pick two. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place still. Me too. And I guess like it's like sometimes I feel like I miss so much um, with being sick, Um, especially with the lupus thing. I was out of the loop. And then I missed um, a lot uh, when I was in radiation isolation, radiation isolation from the cancer. So... I couldn't, you know, go around people because I had to isolate myself because I was radioactive, which sounds really weird. But um, I I feel like I missed so much. And now being a wife and a mother, like, you know, to my stepson, it's, it's, you miss stuff. And, you know, it's just like, I'm feeling great. I want to get out and do everything. So it's, (laughs) you know, you try to, pencil it all in but I looked at my calendar today and I said "Mm -mm, mm -mm." (laughs) two things so I'm learning to just take some time to also have that me time and just sit and do absolutely nothing all day yeah that is that is that is important that is important yeah yeah um, well, thank you for coming on and sharing your very, very intimate story. Um, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and open and kind of just coming on here, not knowing exactly what it was. Um, <laughs> just like, hey, Rashawn, share your story with us. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate you for trusting me and um, being able to come on here and share your journey. And I really do get, you know, feedback from from women to say that they really enjoyed someone's story so I know for sure listening to all of the things that you have gone through and how you come out on the other side will really and truly be an inspiration for somebody else that needs to listen so I really appreciate you for coming on no problem and I am always free to talk to whoever about whatever (laughs) (laughs) and I will I will leave your um, contact information um, in the description of this episode. So if anyone does have a question for Rashawn, they can reach out to her um, and you all can continue to be inspired by this beautiful soul that I know um, that I have the privilege to know. So 
um, make sure that you all read the description to get her contact information to make sure you reach out to her. Um, so ladies, you all know how this goes. If you hear Rashawn's story, and I'm pretty sure you know at least one person, but if you know five people that need to have a moment of inspiration, um, get out of their pity party that they're giving themselves, and you know that this will be important for them to listen to, share Rashawn's story with at least five women. Um, as always, we are ordinary women doing extraordinary things. I love you, my Alchemy Chic family. Until next time, keep loving on yourselves. Bye, ladies.